we get to the church and laying on a concrete slab was a baby covered in blood. Sounds like Ezekiel, covered in blood, had just been born. The mother had the child and a baby was laying there. It had to be about 40 degrees outside. My wife literally tossed our son to me. I caught him and she swooped this baby up, wrapped him, and we ended up taking him home, raising him. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. You know, every child belongs in a safe and loving family. Right now, the child welfare system, the federal, state, and county government agencies charged with this responsibility has been stretched beyond its expertise and capacity. The system places too many poor and minority children in foster care who could be kept safely at home, shuffles children between multiple foster care homes and institutions, and further traumatizes them at each step. The failures of the child welfare system are at the root of some of our nation's biggest challenges. As many as 70% of youth in the juvenile justice system have been in the child welfare system. One-third of homeless young adults were previously in foster care. On any given day, there are nearly 424,000 children in foster care in the United States. 2019, over 672,000 children spent time in U.S. foster care. On average, children remain in state care for over a year and a half, and 5% of children in foster care have languished there for five years or more. In what way should the church share this responsibility of our troubled foster care program? Yet more importantly, care for the lives of these precious children and youth trapped in a failed system. Well, today we're going to hone our conversation in on the topic of foster care. We have Bishop Vincent Matthews from the Tabernacle Church of God in Christ in South Haven. He joins us to discuss foster care and really see how the church is engaging this issue. Brother Vincent, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. It's so good to be here. Thank you, Brother Byron. I thank you so much for this opportunity to be on your show. You and your wife, Sharon Denise Matthews, have been blessed by God with 11 children, eight boys and three girls. Can you share each of their names and give me their birth dates? Wow, I can. (laughs) (laughs) You got time? Let's do it. All right, starts with Mario. His birthday is January the 11th. My daughter, Shawnice, her birthday is February the 19th. After that's my son, Jabari. His birthday is April the 17th. And my son, he has gone on to be with the Lord, Omari. His birthday was October the 24th. And then it's Jelani, January the 21st. Then it's Jamil, April the 29th. And then after that is my son, Akili. His birthday is August the 29th. And then there's, after Akili, is Anissa, and her birthday is on January the 16th. My daughter, Talia, her birthday is February the 27th. And then my son, Tume, whose birthday is, help me, Jesus, April the 22nd. And finally, our son, Gershom, whose birthday is August the 22nd. Oh, Brother yes. Vincent, you get yeah. the award. Listen, great job. Great yeah. job. I should have given you years. But, uh, yeah, no, hey, listen, thank you yes, so sir. much. You know, children are a heritage from the Lord, aren't they? Yes, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Oh, Amen. Yes. Yeah, my quiver is full. 
And I have three grandchildren now. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Hey, that's the best part yeah. of being a parent, the opportunity <laughs> to be a grandparent, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to having hopefully 35 grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to see the Matthews home at the holiday time, especially with yes, the grandchildren, sir. too. It's a great time. Back in 2004, Bishop, you and Sharon and the children moved to South Africa to serve as full-time missionaries. What was that yes, like? Sir. It was phenomenal. Our children were with us. Uh, we homeschooled before we went. We homeschooled there. We ended up establishing a school there and worked with our church and planted churches. It was just a phenomenal thing. And we had an opportunity to serve the Lord and our family bonded closer together there in South Africa. We were only there for 12 years, but it was a wonderful 12 years. Well, I noticed that you were a Fulbright Fellow while studying the African language Swahili at the university in Tanzania. Now, is that what you call the vision for missions that led you to serve as a missionary? Yeah, you know, what's interesting, first of all, you've done your homework. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, what's interesting is that I was called as a missionary in the fourth grade. I didn't know that it was a missionary call. I was watching a film strip of the Yanomamo people in the Amazon living in trees. And I said, I want to go live with these people. I want to go be there. I thought I was crazy, and, and no one really understood that. And so throughout my life, I just I felt this yearning to serve the nations and serve the least of these, our brothers and sisters around the world. So when I was in university, I began to study languages, to study international relations, and that's how I got the Fulbright to go to Tanzania. And then I was engaged to be married and, and said to my wife, this is what I believe God is calling us to do. She wasn't with it then, and 10 years later, the Lord spoke to her and I, and that's how we moved to the mission field. You know, my family was serving as missionaries back in the mid-90s with Transworld Radio, and our actual first assignment was Swaziland, which is right oh, yeah. in, in the area close to where you were. We, at the last minute, they reassigned us to the island of Guam on the other side of the world, oh, but we originally yeah. were coming your way. <laughs> yes. Oh, and now you know the name of the Swaziland has changed to Swatini. I wasn't aware the of name that. Of the, yeah. Well, it's interesting that they did that, but yeah, Swaziland, oh, it's a beautiful place. I'm sorry. Well, Guam had to be Oh, somewhere. definitely was. You had a tropical <laughs> island, right? Yes. <laughs> Well, Brother Vincent, the aftermath, the remnant of apartheid probably still had lingered during the time you were raising your children there. How do you think that period living in South Africa helped shape their understanding of what race is about? Oh, my Lord, big time. Uh, As a matter of fact, I was teaching just yesterday on the class on race that you brought it up. But my children, we moved there and some were born in South Africa. And some of my older children were older when we got there. But first of all, we served in a township called Tembisa. And before it was a racially segregated area, it still is, but by law, now it's just by income. People leave as soon as they can. And the first thing they learned is that people will have differences with each other no matter what, because we had ethnic differences. Everybody were black, but different. The Tonsa, the Zulu, the Sutu, the Betty, and the different languages. We had 26 languages in our church. And they began to learn that people are the same everywhere, regardless of where you are born or who you are. And even coming back here, there's some things that they did not understand and didn't understand that, uh, you know, we're told that there are privileged classes and non-privileged classes and those who are unprivileged can never break through. And they're like, well, I, I believe we should work hard and make it in life. And so I think it was a lot of things that they learned 
being in South Africa and traveling around the world that helped inform them to, to have a healthy view on race and recognizing that really we're all God's children. And there are really only two cultures in the world, the culture of Christ and the culture of Satan. And they, they hold on to that. What a great lesson. Well, we're going to talk yeah. about foster care, as I mentioned. And here in the United States, on any given day, there are, as I mentioned, nearly 424,000 children in foster care here in the United States. On average, children remain in the state care for over a year and a half, and 5% of children in foster care have been there for five years or more. Is this an issue where the church has been asleep? Uh, my brother, you hit the nail on the head. The church, the universal church, the church militant has abdicated our responsibility to the government and the government, that's really not the government's role to be taking care of uh, children, uh, orphans or children who are in trouble. It's the church's role. We look at James one twenty seven. it reminds us that true religion and undefiled is this, to visit widows and orphans in their need. And so, yeah, I believe the church is an indictment upon us that we've been asleep to not stand firm upon what God has called us to do. The criteria that Jesus gives us in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. What's the difference between the sheep and the goats? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you took me in. So, yeah, I believe that the church has been asleep, and we've been so focused on whether we're blue or red and not recognizing are we really the body of Christ functioning as we should be. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, you have examples through your ministry where members of your congregation have engaged foster care to provide a loving, Christ-centered home for children and youth in foster care? Oh, my brother. Oh, you're good. <laughs> I love talking to you. Uh, yeah. You know, let me tell you this quick story really quick. First of all, it's impossible to be a Christian and not protect life from the womb to the tomb. So you're automatically, you're pro-life. And so we've been teaching that, you know, Satan has working through killing individuals through abortion. And this is happening in Atlanta. When I was pastored in South Africa, we had prayer 6 a.m. between Passover and Pentecost. So from Easter Sunday until Pentecost Sunday, those 50 days, we're having 6 a.m. prayer. And it's winter time in South Africa at that time. The seasons are opposite. So my wife was waking me up at 4 a.m said, we got to get to prayer. We got to get to prayer. And we're only five minute drive from the church. And finally, as wives can be persuasive, we left out at about 515, headed to prayer early. And our son, Gershom, the youngest one that I mentioned, he's, he was a baby at the time, about six months old. We get to the church and laying on a concrete slab was a baby covered in blood, sounds like Ezekiel, covered in blood, had just been born, the mother had the child, and a baby was laying there. It had to be about 40 degrees outside. My wife literally tossed our son to me. I caught him, and she swooped this baby up, wrapped him, and we ended up taking him home from raising him until he passed away. He passed away a few years later. He was HIV positive. The doctor said, you don't want him. And we said, yeah, and we named him Samuel, by the way, because he was given to the church. And I got up that Sunday and I said, ever had this child at the church, knew that we were coming to church. 
And they knew that that mother is a hero. We thank you for leaving the baby at the steps of the church. She could have done better. But if anyone else has an unwanted pregnancy, leave the baby with us. We will take it. And we had no less than 15 people in that church that had informal foster relationships with people giving their children. And we had a church full of babies that <laughs> that were linked with people in the family. So it was unique and phenomenal. And we led by example. And it was one, and, and you know how many children we have in our house. <laughs> then my wife took in another mother and her two children, another mother and her child. At dinner, we would have 16 to 17 people at our dinner table a day with a paltry small amount of money, but God always provided. Oh, Bishop, what a beautiful, beautiful story. Yes, You're talking about getting in messy situations, and sometimes we don't want to step into those places, do we? That's right. That's right. But this is what God has called us to do, not just you know, go to church Sunday morning and go home motivated, but to be his hands and his feet. And you're right. And to get our hands dirty and to be his hands and love on individuals. Well, we need to mention now and throughout today's interview, the University of Memphis Athletics invites our listeners to discover a community movement of churches caring for kids with keynote speaker Bishop W.C. Martin and Deputy Mayor Ken Moody and Bishop Vincent Matthews, who's with us right now, Tuesday, mm-hmm. March 29th, 6.30 p.m. at the Penny Hardaway Hall of Fame building. You can register right now as we talk at careportal.org slash events, careportal.org slash events. We'll be giving that information out throughout this interview. Brother Vincent, how did you first become aware of this movement of churches caring for kids, and why did you choose to get involved? Now, I think the answer you've already shared because your heart was already moved that way. Yeah, yeah, but a friend of mine called me right before the pandemic. Bishop Douglas called me to Kansas City. He didn't ask me. He demanded that I come to Kansas City and meet the head of uh, this group called Care Portal. His, his name is Joe Knitting, and there was a Bishop Glenn there. He said, you got to come meet these people. And it was right before Christmas. I had been traveling all over the world. I was tired, and I promised my wife I wasn't traveling anymore until after Christmas. And here I was getting on the plane going to Kansas City. I was so glad that I did. I met a radical group of individuals that are seeking to overturn the foster care crisis, what you have just outlined. And what they're really doing is this meeting in Memphis, because 5% of the counties in the nation hosts 95% of the foster children. Imagine 5% of the counties and Shelby County and the Memphis metro area is one of them. So this tri-state area is one of the epicenters in the country for the foster care crisis, unfortunately. And so it's not just shaming people saying, go out and help. I wish there was a care portal where my church was doing what we were doing. Because what they do is they look for churches. They work along with social workers. They're working along with youth villages, the schools, and the community at large, the governmental systems that are there. And they're saying, when you have a problem with the foster children have a problem, or even not foster children. Did you know that most of the children in foster care is not about abuse and neglect? It's about poverty. They didn't have lights or water in the house or proper clothing or beds, and they got the children taken away. And as you mentioned, some are languishing for about five years. This group is saying to the social workers, let the church go and help that family. And then that church disciples that family to prevent them from going to foster care or to help those who are in foster care. 
and they give money to the church to do it. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And I think that's a key yeah. point you make there, that really the role of a foster care parent is to help mend the brokenness between the child and the parent and yes. give it safe place for them to recoup and to be able to heal. Because the ultimate goal is to restore that child in the home of yes. its natural parents. Yes. So that's what got me. I went to that meeting and heard what they were doing, and I was on fire. Then the world shut down for a moment, and then they called me back and said, hey, let's get going. And they wanted to kick it off here in Memphis. I met with them here, and this is how we're here. Now I'm here with you, and this is very exciting. The goal is to get as many churches involved to literally grow their churches with discipling and, and being engaged in a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling the, the hearts of the fathers to their children, hearts of parents to their children, and ultimately to the father. And that's why this really is a church thing, because the church is about family. God created yes, the family, and he has the answers to heal and restore broken families. Yeah. Before there was ever a church, there was family. And without family, this is why our churches are becoming weak, looking at all these depressing Barna studies that keep coming out. The weaker the family, the more uh, anemic the church becomes. The families are stronger. The church is a conglomeration of families who mobilize to impact our community. So you're right. Well, you know, it's interesting, Brother Vincent, the earliest documentation of children being cared for in what we know as foster homes is found in the Old Testament and the Talmud. Both texts highlight the importance for society to care for all children, but it wasn't really until the 19th century that the meeting the needs of children was viewed as a societal problem in the United States that needed to be organized and a solution provided. So the history goes back to Scripture. Yes, sir. It's a biblical mandate. Even Jesus and, and Matthew and the children, they didn't want the children there. He said, no, let the children come to me. And after his triumphal entry, when he goes and turns the tables in the temple in Matthew 21, it says the children were shouting, Hosanna, Lord in the highest. And so children have such a role and are so precious to God. And you're right, it's a biblical mandate that we must be the catalyst in pushing forward. And that's why this event I am so excited about for our area. Let's talk a moment, if we can, about some of these issues that are forcing this over 400,000 children into foster care. We mentioned child abuse and neglect, but you also yes. mentioned poverty. There's yes. really a list of things that cause the child to be put into foster care. A lot of it also is people are so isolated, and that's been exacerbated by the current pandemic and what a response to the pandemic because the church itself is a community that strengthens heals and wraps around and assists parents and when parents are isolated doing things on their own without the wisdom of elders and the wisdom of god and this fallen society already you're going to get nothing but problems and so as you mentioned earlier the church restoring these relationships is so vitally important right now more than ever well, another concern we face is the foster care to prison pipeline. The oh, problem my. is so severe that one quarter of foster care alumni will become involved with the criminal justice system within two years of leaving the care. In New That's York true. City alone, 57% of young people who were in both foster care and the juvenile justice system experience incarceration within six years of exiting care as compared to 14% of all New York City foster alumni. Now, what can we do to help change these types of statistics, Brother Vincent? Brother Byron, I tell you, that statistic is alarming. And, you know, we see the escalation and the spiking in crime, homicide rate, violence, 
we see that in our region right here, we're tops in the nation in violence. If you want to reduce crime, it is not just about arresting and doing those things. It's coming at this level, foster care being a breeding ground of criminal activity, that we can really minister to these children, allow the love of Christ to impact them. And I believe that together as a church, we will reduce crime and reduce the antisocial behavior and drugs and all these other things that are in our community when we are able to really share the love of Christ. Some of the things we're talking about, children that have been abused, the, the trauma that they have, some of the emotional issues, uh, criminal statistics, these are things that would cause even Christians to say, I'm not sure I want to step into that role as a foster parent. Yeah, that's true. It's not for everyone. As a matter of fact, Everyone may not be a foster parent, but we can support the foster parents and we can support those children and spend time with them or assist the foster parents. So you're right. Some may not have that ability or capacity, but that's why this meeting that we're having at the University of Memphis is so important, because it's the church coming alongside those who have stepped up to become foster parents and to say, how can we help? How can we support? And then bringing those children to the church to disciple them, giving those foster parents some respite through our youth ministries and children ministries so that they can be energized to continue to do what they're doing. Diversities and gifts, but all one body. Yes. Oh, I love that. What would you say qualifies someone to be a foster care parent? What do they need to know going into this arena? First of all, it's like ministry. Everybody's not going to be happy that you're serving. The child is not going to say, oh, golly gee, wow, you're so great. (laughs) You're so wonderful. You saved me. Sometimes it'll be kicking and screaming, but you're called by God. And just recognize that it won't always be beautiful, but we're called to be faithful to God. And so recognizing that it'll be challenging. One thing I know, many people who want to foster, make certain that we're healed with inside ourselves because you'll be exposed to all kinds of spiritual wickedness and things that have happened to these children. And if there are things that are unresolved in our own lives, it could be exacerbated. So ask God to cleanse and heal you and be strengthened live a consecrated life, and ask God to give you the capacity to love like he loves. And it would be very important to be linked to your community, to have a supportive community, and that's where the church comes in to assist you. I think that's a great word because, as you mentioned, this is not a solo mission for a foster parent. They do need the support. If somebody in your church congregation takes on this role, there's that need for prayer support and other ways that you can find to invest in these families who are taking up the banner of foster care. It's a team effort to come together as a body. Yes, sir. Well, as we mentioned, you will be joined by Bishop W.C. Martin and Deputy Mayor Ken Moody as the University of Memphis Athletics invites our listeners to discover a community movement of churches caring for kids on Tuesday, March 29th, 6.30 p.m. at the Penny Hardaway Hall of Fame building. Friends, you can register today at careportal.org slash events, careportal.org slash events. Brother Vincent, what are you planning to present for this event coming up on March 29th? First, I got to say that not only Care Portal, the athletic director, Laird, who is the athletic director there at University of Memphis, is a believer. He loves the Lord. He's on fire for this. And, and as he has spearheaded, Deputy Mayor Ken Moody and the mayor himself of Memphis, they're excited about it. And what will be presented, first of all, is our why. Why is the church, the city, the university coming together? Kind of what we've been discussing. And then it's the how. This is about not just a homily, 
sharing with everyone and, and preaching. We, I think we all get the why, but then providing tools for each individual to be able to activate how can we alleviate this crisis that we're in. So that'll be laid out. Now, Bishop Martin is coming from Texas. He comes from an area called Possum Trot, Texas, where they have this small little area. He has a church that's less than a hundred people, but they've adopted or fostered seventy-seven children. Oh my! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and <laughs> seventy-seven children. So he's going to encourage that it's possible. You don't have to be rich and prosperous and super educated, but determined and to have the the determination to be to follow Christ. So it's really to provide tools, as I mentioned. There are some churches with means, some without means, but it's really to say, hey, can you disciple? Can you do? We have all been called to make disciples. And so can you help disciple foster parents, foster families, or those families who are vulnerable who could possibly fall into the foster care system to meet it on this end? We, we, we watch what has happened. Uh, foolish politicians and people who said that we need to defund police and take the money away. Now they flip and say they didn't say that. And we saw what happened in action, what happened now on this end. We need our police. We need uh, the things that happen in the streets, but we need on the other end to prevent what is coming down the pipe, through preventative ministry to help to make sure things are right. So there'll be resources that'll be provided for churches and individuals to be a part. That's why I'm so excited. Well, that's a great word, Bishop. Well, as we start to close out today, we want to remind our listeners that you will be joined by Bishop W.C. Martin, Deputy Mayor Ken Moody as keynote speakers as the University of Memphis Athletics invites our listeners to discover a community movement of churches caring for kids. Mark it down Tuesday, March 29th, 6.30 p.m. at the Penny Hardaway Hall of Fame building. You can register right now as we're speaking at careportal.org forward slash events, careportal.org forward slash events. Brother Vincent, as I mentioned at the beginning, you are a pastor of the Tabernacle Church of God in Christ in South Haven. When are yes. your service times and how can our listeners find you in the great city of South Haven? Yes, sir. We in South Haven, 7701 US 51. We actually share the campus where Colonial Hills, we're in that building on the right. The times of our service is Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, Sunday afternoon service at 5 o'clock, Bible study on Wednesdays at 6.30. Actually, we have ministry going literally every day. The church is open every day. Our website is tabsouthhaven, T-A-B, southhaven.org. God bless you, my dear brother. Thank you for what you're allowing Christ to do through you for his kingdom, for his glory. Thank you for talking with us about this topic of foster care today on the program. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you. You're a hero to faith, and I thank God for this opportunity to be with you. Thank you, my dear brother. Well, special thanks to my dear friend, Trace Thoroughby of Care Portal, for helping to arrange today's interview with Bishop Vincent Matthews. Care Portal creates connections within the circles of care around the isolated child, bringing together the family, church, and community to create a holistic, healthy approach to caring for kids. Because every child matters. You can discover more at careportal.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Byron Tyler. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Mid-South Viewpoint is people telling God-sized stories from all walks of life. Listen anytime with the Bot Radio Network mobile app or on Spotify and iTunes podcast.